Our gospel reading comes from the gospel of Luke chapter 2 verses 1 through 16. Before we hear that read, let us pray. May your light, Christ Jesus, illumine this, your word, that our hearts this night might hear your voice speaking to us, shaping us, molding us, calling us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. In those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David called Bethlehem because he was descended from the house and family of David. He went to be registered with Mary, to whom he was engaged and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. In that region, there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace among those whom he favors. When the angel had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in the manger. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In recent years, I have noticed that Nativity scenes, which of course are based on this passage from the Gospel of Luke and also what we can gather from Matthew's Gospel, nativity scenes have become quite an industry. Maybe you've noticed this. You can make purchase nativity scenes made of various materials, various styles, beautiful and ornate, simple and thoughtful characters all standing around Jesus in that semicircle. And then there are also available Muppet nativity scenes. Art Deco, nativity scenes, Star Wars, nativity scenes. For $129.99, you can purchase a hipster nativity scene with Mary and Joseph taking a selfie alongside Jesus. Three wise men arriving on Segways with Amazon Prime boxes. Irreverent, ironic, ridiculous, pious, beautiful. They run the gamut in the ways folks do interpretive things with the nativity scene. Some of them just trying to make a buck, some of them trying to make a point, some of them trying to truly be reverent. And it got me to thinking, what about us? Christmas always brings together family and friends, near and far, old friends, new friends, first-time dinner dates, fiancés. It's this hodgepodge of people and perspectives and walks of life. And if they're coming to our place for lunch or dinner, I imagine there's an okay chance that somewhere in your home, you have a nativity scene that might get noticed. And so what if one year that nativity display were done just so? 
to capture the essence of the Christmas story. What if one year we thought through all the details and tried to interpret things as faithfully as possible, and when our friends and family members noticed our nativity set, we could pick up the pieces and, and share what the heart of Christmas is really about? I imagine our first inclination would be like mine. Let's go back to Scripture itself and, and read the story as we truly have it. We want to get this right. We might notice that you know we're never told how many wise men there are. Just that they came from the east, likely Persia, began traveling toward Jesus upon seeing a star, which means we definitely can't put them actually at the manger scene where Jesus is born. They arrive a good bit later. Maybe we place them on the other side of the room, and we can have as few of them or as many of them as we want. We don't have an official number. We might also notice that they're not actually kings, as recorded in Matthew's gospel, we three kings. They're magi, which refer to a class of priests in the East who studied astrology and were interpreters of omens and signs. They're, they're spiritualists of another religion. We're meant to understand they came from far away, geographically and otherwise. Maybe we put our magi outside of our house entirely. Talk about making a theological point about the extent of Jesus' love. We might notice that a lot of the displays you, you find these days have Jesus sort of with that semi-smile and open-armed, charmed baby look. And our scripture is swaddled, wrapped, vulnerable to the elements, bound. I mean, all, all said, we might notice some details we take for granted in some of the traditional scenes. And so we go to make our preparations. We begin dusting off the, the table by the front door. We're preparing for that nativity scene that, that's really going to share the heart of Christmas for all who pass by. But then I wonder if, if we don't step back just one more time and we sit with our scripture a little bit longer. Mike, just one year we shift our whole approach. What if there is yet a more faithful way to interpret and understand the significance of the manger scene and the heart of the Christmas story than just getting as close to historically accurate as possible. I mean, we might return to Scripture and notice how Jesus' birth happens while all the big names of the day are getting all the press and making things happen. Verses 1 and 2, you heard. Emperor Augustus has told the whole empire to go and be registered for tax purposes. There's mention by name of Quirinius, governor of Syria. Big names, big events. But we notice Jesus is born far from the big names and the big headlines. Bethlehem, a small, poor city whose name in Hebrew means city of bread. And it is referred to by name twice here in our little short portion of Luke chapter 2, referred to 40 other times in the Old Testament as the city of David, a reminder that the great King David came from humble origins. We might notice that because there's no room even in poor Bethlehem for Jesus to be born, Mary and Joseph, they must go to a manger. And a manger, we may recall, is a feeding trough for animals. And perhaps in our reading of Luke's account, we notice that three times in the first 16 verses of this chapter 2 of Luke, he uses the word manger. And maybe we've read enough of the Bible to know that repetition matters. Repetition underscores a key theme. Manger feeding trough, a place for the animals to feed, and through the animals, people. So Jesus is born in a place for food in the city of bread. And then maybe this observation prompts us to turn the page back to Luke chapter 1, because maybe we remember how Mary 
when she's pregnant. She sings that song, the Magnificat, as we know it. And in that song, she proclaims the coming of a God who, quote, has filled the hungry with good things. The God who is to be born in the flesh is a God who feeds the hungry. So, so we put it together, trying to listen closely to this theme Luke is laying out not so quietly. We have in a place for food in the city of bread the God who fills the hungry being born. I am the bread of life, which came down from heaven, is how Jesus would put it himself later in life. We, we come to find out later in the Gospel of Luke that the manner in which he feeds us is by having his body broken and blood poured out in love. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. Right now, we attend to Luke chapters 1 and 2, and we see that the promise coming upon the scene is living bread for a hungry world, born in obscurity, far from the big names and the big places. And now we're starting to draw near to the heart of Christmas. So imagine again, we're at that front table, dusting it off, preparing to put together the nativity scene that really names the heart of Christmas based on what we've learned. We've picked this table because it's, it's really front and center. It's going to get the foot traffic. This is where most people walk by. They're going to gather. They're going to see the nativity scene in our house. They're going to talk about what we've got. But then we realize, goodness, if we're going to catch the essence of the story, we really can't put the nativity scene right here front and center next because Jesus was not born amidst the headline chatter and the crowds and all that. We tell the story most faithfully if we find a spot in our home that is overlooked, unheralded, lacking even. So where is that? The empty closet no one uses? Corner of the attic? The garage piled high with junk that has not been sorted in forever. What's coming to mind in your home? Does that place in your mind have a little bit of dust or dirt? Perfect. Keep it. All the better if we want to proclaim clearly that God came among sinners who were not clean and put together. And so we've decided upon our overlooked dusty spot. And here's what I would do next based on what, what we've learned on the morning that we're going to have folks over for that Christmas dinner, we go and we bake bread. We bake the best bread we've ever baked. If we don't know how to bake, we learn. The goal is to bake the largest, best, freshest loaf of bread we've ever made, that warm, soft, right-out-of-the-oven smell bread. And then take that nice, large, soft, warm loaf over to that overlooked, unheralded, lacking spot and place it right there. And that's it. What about the shepherds who, who, who were doing their job at night and, and came to see Jesus? What about Mary and, and, and Joseph? What, what about the Magi who believe other things and came? I mean, what about the varied cast of characters who come to adore the Christ child? I mean, what if we le just risked leaving it as the best bread we've ever made sitting in the most heralded spot of our home. That's our nativity scene. And when people arrive, maybe music's playing, the TV may be on. Inevitably, folks start to gather and they're chattering about the latest and greatest in sports and politics, family and business. But wouldn't it be something if just even one or two noticed the aroma? Did someone bake fresh bread? Where is that? 
And so you lead your varied cast of characters away from the decorations and the, and the music and the television and you head to the back closet or up the attic or over to the garage and, and everyone gathers in sort of a semicircle and you, you point to the warm, fresh loaf of bread and you say, that is the best bread you'll ever have. This is the heart of Christmas. Would you like a piece? Perhaps that sounds unlikely. But is it any more unlikely than the creator of the universe, the creator of you and me, being born in the flesh in a feeding trough of a poor town, and then through dreams, angels, and stars, drawing unto himself a motley crew comprised of of a young Jewish couple, working class shepherds, wise men of another country and religion? I think sometimes in our desire to get it just right this season, the dinner just right, the gifts just right, the traditions just right, the nativity scene just right, we forget the scandalous, beautiful truth that is at the heart of Christmas. The God of the universe comes as living bread to starving bodies and souls, and he enters not in through the big news and the big settings, he enters into the poor and the dirty and the overlooked. And so this night, or tomorrow, if you gather with friends and family and you feel yourself an outsider because you have baggage, you're the black sheep, you're often the one that's forgotten or overlooked or misunderstood, Jesus loves making his home in precisely such a place and nourishing life. Receive living bread. And if this night or tomorrow, if you gather with friends and family and the scene is raucous and fun or political and tr- or trivial, take a deep breath and look around for the people under the radar. The toddler by herself, the great-grandparent sitting over here or maybe at the nursing home, the family member who has a past and maybe even a present, to be honest. The store clerk or officer keeping the late shift. Or notice around the corner from your place or or on your drive to and from the one reaching into the garbage to sift through what has been thrown away after all the new gifts have been passed around. Look unto the unheralded directions. And there, go and converse or maybe just listen or pray and receive the living bread who is surely there. May we this Christmas have eyes to see and ears to hear and perhaps even a nose to smell the living bread who is born among us this day. Let us pray. Our gracious God, we gather in thanks on this joyful Christmas Eve. We give thanks for all the blessings in which we enjoy, the shelter of home and the comfort of family and friends, the company of the faithful with whom we celebrate Christ's coming, and for your love which shines as light in the darkness. We give thanks for your faithfulness in nourishing us and feeding us upon your love. And we ache that that nourishment might be known unto this world on this night. We pray for all those this night who are ill or who are recovering. Those who gather this night and tomorrow and there is a sadness made all the heavier by memories of Christmas's past or even a present pain. 
We pray for those who do not have enough, enough food, enough money, enough companionship, enough hope. We join our hearts with the faithful throughout the ages and urgently pray, come among us and come among them this night. Feed us upon your presence, your living bread. Nourish us with your life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.